Hello, this is Haig Valian, and you are listening to The Beijing Sessions. And if my voice sounds a little hoarse, it's because last night I went to Beersmith to watch Soul Shake. And man, they were good. I, I hadn't planned on being there all night. Um, thought maybe it'd be there for an hour or two. Ended up leaving at 2.30 after all the lights had come back on. It had been a while. But it was so fun, so, so fun. They're so versatile, and yeah, it was it was really cool. Two guests today, well, three guests today, actually. Um, first, I talked to Feng Yu. She is a photographer here in Beijing, a portrait photographer. And, you know, it's it's interesting. When, you, you know, when you're talking to a photographer, it's such a visual medium. Um, and, you know, we talk about her work, and we talk about philosophy and and you know she's she was so generous with her stories but you know I urge you you really 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 should go see uh, her work and you can do that online I'll obviously put the links on the show notes but we talk about a series of photogra- uh, photographs that she's been um, working on for for years called uh, her stories or from her stories and you can check that out at www.fromherstories.com that's one word and uh, just her just to see her um, other work her portrait work commercial work uh, check out youphotography.com that's u-y-u hyphen photography.com and then I talked to Harry Reid and Tony Tse Harry Reid pretty much launched Ogilvy and Western advertising in China back in the late 70s. And, and Tony Tse uh, was here in the 80s. And we talked a couple of months ago, and I've been, I've been saving this interview, and I thought this would be a really good time to, uh, to publish it. I thought it was just a fascinating talk, and you know I'm excited to, to finally, finally, finally publish it. Here is Feng Yu. Before before any interview, I, I'll, I'm always nervous mm-hmm. because I just everybody who comes here or I talk to, like I just don't know how they're going to react. I don't know. I don't know their personality. Mm. I don't know. Some I just don't know anything about uh-huh. it, and it's really exciting because yeah. that's that's one of the things I like about it. Uh-huh. You know, so it's for me. It's like okay, well, let's see how let's see how this is going. I to understand be. totally. It's the same as uh, taking photo of somebody. Okay, so a few years ago, oh. you were on this YouTube se- uh, episode, this YouTube series. You sent this to me. It was called the series was called Digital Rev TV. It was a it was a great it was a great episode, um, and I really enjoyed watching you work. Uh, in the episode, the host gave you this very cheap camera and, that you took some portraits with, and you did some street photography as well here in Beijing. You know, but the thing that I remember the most from that episode was that when the host asked you what model your camera was, you didn't know. And I love that. And I thought it was so refreshing and it was just so surprising to me. It was it was really cool because like for me, I'm I'm very technologically aware. If you ask me what my gear is, Mm -hmm. I can tell you the model. I can tell you the year, Mm -hmm. but it's useless information it doesn't matter mm-hmm. this, this information doesn't matter because it's a tool for me to work and it either helps me do my job or it doesn't help me right and that's that's really all that comes of it so so this episode like two hundred and thirty thousand people watched it did, did you what what kind of what kind of comments did you get 
uh, let me think. And I think I read a bit. I think many people are talking about why this girl is kind of really remember the the type of the 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 number of the camera. And the first is I'm not a girl anymore. And second is uh, <laughs> yeah. is like uh, is that really important or not? Is it like totally? Yeah, I don't. I I just don't care. Yeah. And uh, what I read, and some people I think they said. Um, uh, she don't have a tattoo <laughs> because uh, yeah, and I think this is also I I'm not looks cool at all. I'm just normal person. Yeah, and I don't need to pretend to be to pretend to be anything. And I'm just like this. I'm very happy to be myself. Yeah, I'm never I'm never looks cool, and uh, I think that's why I think I'm cool <laughs> because I just you don't are. care. I, listen, as a non, as one non-tattoo haver to another, I'm, I'm, that's that's fantastic. So the list of people you've taken portraits of, it's pretty long and it's illustrious. I think in the in in, in the West we would know some of the people. I think um, uh, Jackie Chan, Ai Weiwei, Michael Phelps, Stefan Marbury, Juliette Binoche. Um, over the past few years, you've also been working on your own project. Her story that looks at Chinese women between the ages of 30 and 40. And we're, we're going to talk about that later on. When someone comes into your studio, what's the first thing you say to them? First thing what I said to them. Yeah, if somebody, when somebody comes to your por- uh, studio. Hello, nice to meet you. Yeah, quite simple. I think it doesn't matter what you talk to them. It's more about the whole feeling what you give to the people. So normally I'm the people will go first to shake the hand and say hello to them. I'm not waiting for they come to me. I think that's quite important to show you, to show the honest and show the respect to the people. It doesn't matter who they are. When you're working on a portrait of, say, a celebrity who's had their portrait taken maybe many times before, how do you approach that challenge? Or do you, do you view that as a challenge? Do you look at the photographs that have been taken of that person? Yeah, I will check. So before I shoot, I will do many preparation. Yeah. And uh, I will check the people's information from the interview, from the image. And uh, I will try to knowing them a little bit more. Um, also, sometimes if I could have a chance, I will talk with them assistant or friends or whatever, try to find out more. But they will not make me put them into a box. I think that's quite important. I'm watching them looks like what? It's not for me to put them in the box. It's just for me when we really meet each other, I can have some idea how can talk with them. This is quite important. For example, when I check the photo, this person often have the right side of the face so I can talk with him. Yeah, and I saw most of the photo always shoot from the right side. So do you like your right side? Yeah. I think at the point when I meet them, I really need to forget all, all the things, what I, how can I say, what I see before. Otherwise, I will taking the same photo as other people. When I really meet them, I will really need to using my own feeling to, to feel them, to understand of them. 
one of my questions was, I mean, look, you're working with a lot of creative people, mm-hmm. you know, people with ideas, mm. people with sometimes they have an image mm. that they want to have. Have you ever had a, a situation where somebody was trying to be like, well, I don't like I don't like the way you're doing it. I want it to be something else. Yeah, of course. And uh, let me think. They have one story I think is quite interesting is a. Uh, so at quite uh, at the very beginning when I become to the photographer, uh, have something happened for me is uh, yeah, and I remember it very deeply. So at that time I'm quite young and also I'm very brave, and I don't care about uh, I gonna take photo of home and I'm a little bit quite quite arrogant I think at that point. So one day somebody asked me, some media asked me to take a photo of some some famous director. And he also is a producer, yeah. So when I arrived at the place, and he is living quite a small uh, hotel. And uh, at that time, the magazine, they want to have a photo of him, the whole body, also with the environment. So when I'm checking, the only place possible is bedroom. So my idea is that he can sit in the bed and I take photo of him. So after the editor interview him, I said, Mr. So-and-so, could you please come to the bedroom and sit in the bed? And at that point, he become a bit angry because most of the normal people's idea of him is always connected with, um, how can I say, the, the movie... A, a little bit sexy, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and uh, <clears throat> so he said, uh, "Why you guys always want me to be shoot in the bed or something around that?" And uh, but this is not my idea because for me this is the only place, and also I think in the bed is quite nice everything, and it's better than just standing in the room of nowhere, and at that point. When I see he is unhappy with me, and then I think, okay, so if you don't want, I, yeah, I, I don't, I also don't give a shit. And I said, so if you don't want to sit in the bed, so where you want, where you want to go, I just follow you. And then very quickly, he moved from the bedroom to the small living room, and he just sit in the sofa. He said, here. I said, okay, here. And then I just take off, take take the camera and using the zoom lens, using the very wide angle and ask my assistant, just make the light on the dong 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 to take some photo. And then at the end of the photo, he looks quite angry. The photo now, if I look back, is quite nice. But the whole experience is not very nice. Hmm. And uh, I don't really feel good. And I think um, he also don't feel good. So if I looking back, that thing is quite changed my attitude of of my career. So I go to shoot. It's not. It's like my my point is not piss somebody off to get a great photo. That photo is good because it's very nature. But you don't really feel good. Other people also not really feel very very comfortable. Yes, yeah, so, you know I'm going to go on a tangent here, but that reminds me of that Yusuf Karsh 
photo of uh, of Winston Churchill. You know that story about how there's this very famous portrait of Winston Churchill. You know oh. the and 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 he was known for having a cigar. He always had ah, a cigar. Ah, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, the, and yeah. Yusuf Karsh, who was this yeah. uh, Lebanese Armenian Canadian photographer, uh, took took the cigar out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. And the photo is like Winston Churchill just looking annoyed, but that's become like the most famous picture of Winston Churchill. But uh, I think for the portrait, like um, some photographer want really want to show the opinion of uh, what I'm thinking of this person, and quite clearly, and I don't really like that. It's like I want showing this person's dark side or very beautiful or very. Whatever it's quite extremely. I don't want that, and I think that will be put somebody in the box. I know you cannot, uh, like all the photographer is a human being. You cannot really get off your own opinion. But I try to make this less. I don't want to put anybody in a box. Now you've talked about a situation where somebody got angry with you. But what was the most surprising response you ever got from somebody whose portrait you've taken? I think um, many normal people surprise me more. Mm. Mm. They are very easy to really open to me. Yeah, yeah, that for celebrity, of course, it's difficult. People cannot be like that. But for the most of the, the normal people, when I shoot with them, and they can, they can really open to me. So, for example, the woman project I did, and the woman showing many awkward and secret time with me, even I don't really know them. I think that has always moved me. And uh, two years ago, I have, I have been stuck in Berlin because of coronavirus. Which, and, is, a, which is a lovely city to be stuck in, uh-huh. in my opinion. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I have so many lovely persons. And uh, I don't really know anybody. It's a... It's after my husband, he come from there. And then I think if I start stuck here and I gonna need to do something. So I start to uh, also made a project about, uh, about uh, how can I say? I, I try to knowing the person from that city because that will make me calm. Yeah. You wrote that, and then this is, I'm, just, I'm talking about her story right now, which is your, your personal project. Um, you wrote that women in China between the ages of 30 and 40 are undergoing the most challenging periods of their life. What, why is that? I think it's not just uh, in China and uh, this group of women have the challenge. I think uh, everywhere and every age, and it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, people in a different time, they will have the challenge. The reason why I want to talk about this is I come from that group. So I want to, I want to make my own project from my group because I know this group more and I can have the, uh, the understand of, of us. The photos in the series that I, I saw in the PDF that you sent me, they're, they're very intimate. And without knowing anything at all about the women that you photographed, except for what I, I only know what I see in the photographs about the women. There's this real diversity. Some are punkish, some are athletic. You have a mother who has, uh, who, who, who's feeding, breastfeeding a child, for example. What is your pitch 
to these women? When you approach these women, what? At the very beginning, I shoot one or two story, and then I'm I'm using the story to talk with more women, and then I think I don't really need to convince them, and、uh, I think because empathy, because we are quite similar, and when I showing them. The photo I sh- I shoot before and people naturally more understand. If the people say no, I will not trying to convince them. Yeah, and they can control that. Ah,、uh, in the Pingyao Festival and I did in the exhibition for many days, and、uh, I'm very curious about、uh, the people's idea and especially with the very very normal people like the old grandpa, and.、Uh, It's very interesting. It's like one day, one of the grandpa look at the picture, and then he asked me, "Hmm, this girl did the operation of the face, right? Plastic surgery." I said, "Yes," and then he he said to me, "Why? Why is she doing this?" And I said, "So you can read the you can read the story, and you will understand." And then the grandpa said, "Hmm." Uh, I read the story. Is many people said she is not、um, beautiful, and I think nobody talking about this to the woman. And I think all of the women, everybody think themselves is very beautiful. So suddenly I realize people not really knowing each other very much because to be a woman. And I know all of my girlfriends. Most of the the girls they think themselves is not so beautiful. Even sometimes they are pretend to be say, I have confidence. I think I'm very beautiful because blah blah blah. But in fact, when we talk with each other, we said ah maybe here is a little bit, there is a little bit. Yeah, and the people sometimes people not really knowing each other. Yeah, and this is also I think. I want to making this project. I want to let the people really can knowing each other a little bit more. So, for example, many women talking about the relationship with the father, because in the re in the reality they are very difficult. And Chinese people, we are, in my idea, is because we are very shy. So we are difficult to really showing the love. To the parents, and、uh, it's different as Western people. So sometimes this is nice, and also this is make the war between the parents and the kids. And I hope my project can let some fathers see it, and they can really remember their own daughter or the son. Yeah, and then maybe they can think a little bit. With with your work, it's it's so intimate. I mean, people really have to, in a way, trust you.、Uh, And what what I think is the empathy is very important for、yeah. me. Yeah. How did you develop that empathy? I think first, um, uh, I'm brave enough to open myself to other people. I don't like to play the game, and、uh, I don't want to play the game. Yeah. So I think if you're brave enough to really show show yourself to、uh, to in front of other people, and is people will also. Most of people were doing this back. Yeah, I believe you meeting people is like、uh, watching yourself in the mirror. It's always like that. 
Yeah. If you play the game, other people also play the game to you, right? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And I'm always trying to get the the how can I say the shining thing from the different people, and I want to bring this to other people. Yeah, you can shine your life up. <laughs> that was Feng Yu. Check out her work. Definitely check out her work. Youphotography.com. Yu-photography.com. And fromherstories.com. From her stories is one word. Thank you so much for coming on.、Um, I'm gonna have in just two seconds Harry Reid and Tony Tse. They,、um, I spoke to them in Hong Kong.、Uh, I think I think it's a really interesting conversation, and I love the descriptions of、uh, Beijing in the, in the late '70s, early '80s.、Uh, they are ad executives. Pretty much started Ogilvy up here in China, and、uh, you know, really fascinating stories about、um, bringing bringing advertising in a place where there just wasn't any advertising, or there hadn't been in a long time. Speaking of advertising, if you are enjoying the show, consider rating it on Apple Podcasts.、Uh, five stars would be fantastic, and leave a comment. Okay, here are Harry Reid and Tony Tse. Ogilvy and Mather is a massive advertising, marketing, and public relations firm. They came to Beijing in 1979 and have been in China ever since. Now, a new book called "In the Name of Redness" tells the story about the firm's development in China. For the moment, it's available in Chinese only, and it's written by Ogilvy Insiders.、Um, when I heard about the book, I thought, "Wow, this would be a fantastic topic to talk about." And so, joining me from Hong Kong to talk about Ogilvy's early days in China are Harry Reid and Tony Tse. Harry Reid was the chairman of Ogilvy and Mather Asia Pacific and chairman of Ogilvy and Mather Greater China. Tony Tse is the professor of practice at the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at the Hong Kong Polytechnic University, and he was the first head of Ogilvy's representative office in Beijing in 1986. Harry Reid, Tony Tse, welcome to the Beijing Sessions. Harry, I'll start with you. When did Ogilvy decide to enter China? It's a good question, and in fact, I had to cast back my memory exactly what happened, and in fact, it dates back to. October,、uh, 1978, probably the middle of the month. I can I can be that precise when we began to press the button on, on, on our ambitions in China, because we were invited、uh, to give a speech at the Guangzhou Autumn Fair, and they were having a, meet, a meeting, a special part of the meeting, special part on the world of advertising, because they they recognised that. Their world was changing, as well,、uh, and so they had a.、Uh, they invited us to speak to them,、uh, and and they had people like Beijing Advertising, Shanghai Advertising. They, they were all there, and that was our first,、um, you know, major contact with,、um, uh, with with really thinking about China,、uh, and then and, and also at at that meeting we uh, we. Uh, met some people from the CNPC, which is the Native Produce Corporation,、uh, and they said to us,、uh, "You know, we we sell Chinese products all over the world, but we we need a bit of help. 
do you think you, your agency might be able to help? And we said, of course. And then after, after a period of time, you know, they appointed us. And so we uh, have, uh, we created advertising for, for this product, for Temple of Heaven Balm in Russia, ran in Russia, Saudi Arabia, all sorts of countries. So those were the, the two aspects that kind of got us going in China uh, way back uh, in end of 78 into 79. So, so at that time, in 78, 79, what, what did you know about China? I knew a little bit, but, uh, you know, I, I knew that I had to learn a lot more, as did a lot of other people. Yeah. In the early days, like, who were your clients? You weren't selling Western goods to China at the time. You were really just selling Chinese goods to the world. Isn't that right? Well, we, 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 we were kind of going at both ends, right? You know, you had to be deaf and blind not, not to realize that something big was happening in China. Quite a lot of our international clients were saying, oh, by the way, uh, are you guys got anything going in China? Type of, that, that type of thing. And then you had the, um, the CNPCs at the other end saying, oh, you know, we need a bit of help in country X, Y, and Z. And, um, and because we, we started to do a reasonable job with uh, CNPC, that they recommended us to other trading corporations. So we, we, we picked up three or four of them. The companies that you worked with in China, like how much experience did they have working with Western companies like, like Ogilvy? Oh, I would say close to zero. You know, because I, I, I think they had distributors obviously lined up for their products all over the world. And, and it's probably a, a, a historical arrangements. And, but, but they kind of realized that they had to, their world was changing. Uh, and, the, and, and there was opportunity, opportunity of that change. And they wanted somebody who might be, uh, who might be able to guide them. And even though uh, their advertising spending was not was not hugely significant, um, you know, the, the, it was it was still very worthwhile for us to um, get the experience of, of of working with a Chinese corporation, and uh, it worked well. So you mentioned that you you were selling uh, Chinese goods in Russia and Saudi Arabia. How do you go about introducing the world? to China. Tony's got an interesting story here about... Uh, sure, Harry, thanks. Yeah. Um, it's, we, I was trying to cast my mind back 35 years, right? And uh, I was the uh, first representative of Ogilvy in Beijing. And I spent two years there and a little bit of time in Shanghai as well. So when I... When, when it cast my mind back, I think we did three important things. You know? um, of course, those were early days in advertising and marketing. Um, the three things that came to my mind are, are important. Uh, one, I think during our presence and our, our work and working with the clients, both local clients and international clients, uh, we, we paved the way for modern advertising services. When I say modern advertising services, I refer to the advertising services now we know of, now current, practicing currently. In the old days, right, I have to introduce the concept of competition in a socialist economy. Mm. Competition, it's, you know, it's, it's very foreign. You know, it's, uh, it's probably not in the dictionary then. Uh, we have to introduce uh, the concept of branding, you know, as a result of competition, you have to stand out with a brand, unique, unique selling points you know, for the brand, and, um, um, and, and also the use of media as a commercial platform, in addition to being, a, being an official government communication channel. Of course, the government uses the media a lot, 
both newspaper and billboards and uh, television. Uh, but we are using media as, as a way to convey a commercial message. You know? It makes money, it sells a product. Um, so that's a very different concept. Uh, and uh, I, I think in those early days, we, we did a lot to pave uh, the way for modern, modern day advertising. The second point I think is important is uh, we foster creativity and aesthetics in advertising. We have to make the advertising message interesting. You know, it's just not telling people about product X, Y, Z from factory one, two, three. Uh, it's, it's a message about how it works, how it improves your lifestyle. Um, it has to create impact on the target market. We, we introduced the idea of art direction, typography, commercial photography, color scheme, models as talents. Um, so all these things you know, changed the advertising a lot. The third point, um, I, th I think it's also very important, is that we create a lot of entrepreneurial opportunities. You know, we, we create consumer events, promotions, sampling, showrooms. We, we kind of open a, a window to the, to the outside world. You know? um, and uh, and um, when I was referring to media, I remember that uh, we have two ex-Ogovi colleagues. Well, they spent about two years working on the advertising in Beijing, one in Beijing, one in Shanghai. Uh, and the, and the, colleague, the ex-colleague in Beijing, she was so clever. She realized the opportunity of media you know, as, 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 a, as, a, as a business opportunity. And she bought the right of the sub, subway billboards. And that was the first <laughs> time amazing. the company, the, the, the subway, sell advertising space to a to a to a company and uh, but she, she and made a this fortune. was in the 80s right there was in mm. 87 88 um, so the, the subway thought that it's you no know, it's just just a billboard you no know? you can you can have it for for the rest of the year for x amount of dollars you know? and she was able to buy the right and sell as advertising space of course she did a lot to promote it uh, and and become a <laughs> Billionaire, yeah. uh, millionaire. That's, that's incredible. I mean, I have to laugh only because when you go to the Beijing subway right now, it is absolutely plastered. Yeah, I bet it is. I bet it is. And, then, and yeah. then there was another colleague in Shanghai, um, and, and he, he bought the right of a newspaper, a tabloid you know, uh, newspaper, and bought the right for the whole year uh, for advertising space. Again, you know, probably for a very small amount of money, and yeah. he was able to sell the space. Uh, advertising space. So uh, that's what I mean by creating a lot of entrepreneurial opportunities. T Tony told me a, a funny thing when we were chatting just an hour ago. When he came to, to uh, Beijing, of course, we had to staff up quite a bit. And, and we, we, we procured the staff from the um, enterprise, the friendship. What is it called? The, the uh, foreign Enterprise foreign Services. Enterprises. It's yeah. still there. It's still, I just checked. It was yeah. still in Beijing, but and maybe offering a different kind of service. Now. Service, yeah. And, and one of the guys that came, came to, to, to work for us said, said to Tony on day one or day two, what do we do here? I mean, he just had no idea. I mean, he didn't even research what advertising was, but, but he came to work for an ad agency. I mean, he learned quickly and picked it up, but 
It was just funny. Just this, there's a there's a there's a gap up there. Well, this is what fascinates me about Ogilvy and, and your your experiences here, because obviously you you know you you are coming into a country with very little experience in, in capitalism, and advertising is is very much a capitalism capitalist endeavor. Tony, one of the things that you were saying though, you know, the, those three important things that you did, you know, the aesthetics, the art direction, and um, just just this mindset. Do, do you remember any specific examples of that? Uh, of course. Of course, you know, we, um, we talk about um, uh, the early days we have Rado as a major client of ours. Rado is really the, was the first um, Swiss watch uh, making an impact in, in China. They had the first showroom there and they, they, they are considered as you know, the, uh, the premium brand of watch you know, um, uh, then. Then we have Mercedes-Benz. They're not selling the C-Class and the, and the S-Class, they're selling trucks, they're selling commercial vehicles. You know. And they're talk, selling huge vehicles. Uh, I remember mm. they, they have to oh. go to the deserts, they have to, and that is five engines as well, the Mercedes. Um, and, um, and consumer goods like SC Johnson, Seagram, uh, Maxwell House, you know, those, those are the brands that we do a lot of consumer promotions on the ground, sampling and, and showroom display mm. and so on. How did you introduce those brands to, you know, this China is a is a large, diverse uh, country, and there's just there's there's so many different, you know, there's so many different cities. There's urban areas, there's rural areas. How did how did you go about introducing those Western companies to China? Maxwell House is an example. Apart from television, from newspaper and billboards, I um, I also run promotions on the ground. So um, introducing introducing it. As, as a as a leisure drink with with an imported feeling or Western feeling, you know? it's something new, something um, certainly not a tea, but an alternative to tea, and um, and we want to create impact. We want, a lot of people have not tried the coffee then, and so we do a lot of sampling uh, just outside the supermarkets. And we, I remember blowing up a big balloon about about twenty feet high um, with with air pump, and um, and uh, and and just attract people coming. People queue up for a you know, coffee. Was there was there a moment it, that you thought we weren't quite sure if this was going to work out, but now we know we are definitely here. We're going to be here for the long run. Yeah, I I I think it it, it took a while to get there. I think. Um, but um, I, I think in the uh, 1980, 1981, 1982, where we were spending a lot of time and a lot of travel and all that sort of stuff, and and, and there wasn't much if income coming in, you know, we just we kept we just kept we kept kept faith, and 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 we just read the tea leaves with clients because clients kept talking about China all the time, and and okay, some of them big-mouthed about it, but others we knew who, who were more serious, we knew that they, that they just, uh, they would have to be there in a bigger way. I, can I just chip in here? I, I think when, when companies like General Motors, you know, have their joint venture in Shanghai, General Food have their mm. joint venture in Guangzhou, you know, they certainly expect the support from the worldwide agency. Oh, yes. Uh, in this case, Ogilvy. Yeah. And, and I, th I think that's, that, that was that's the time when it clicks. So sometime in the 80s, the floodgates opened up. I mean, the you know every every single company wanted to um, to come to China, and Ogilvy was already here. How, how did you how did you respond to to that new demand? 
I think there, there, are, there, there were stages of development. And we, we were first there as a representative office. So at my, at my, during my time, uh, we, we set up the representative office. So we have our own people, we engage a number of local employees, we have uh, uh, the business license to do certain things. Then we move on to a joint venture. Right? So it, it, it took us a few years to move from a, a, a representative representative office to become a joint venture and later I believe it is a wholly owned, wholly owned yeah. so later mm -hmm. moving into wholly owned so there, there were stages in development so you get more mature you get more connected um, you get you get to know the the media and or the suppliers uh, are better I know that you, neither of you work with Ogilvy any longer but how important is China to Ogilvy right now I, I mean, I would hazard a guess that uh, it, it's, still it's still very important. Um, you know, it's a big company. I mean, you know, it's got, you know, 1,500 employees and six uh, offices around China. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, they produce, they, they produce terrific work and uh, so on and so on. So I'm, I'm reasonably up to date on all of that. I would say it's very important, very important, and will get more important as, as time goes on and as China um, you know, grows, grows even more. So I'm, I'm, and I guess I'm sort of delighted about that because it's something and, and delighted, you know, Tony and I were talking about that, that you know, we, we've actually sown a lot of seeds there over, over those years and, uh, and now they're really going to pay off and they're going to pay off even, even more as time goes by. Harry Reid, Tony Tse, thank you so much for talking to me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate the podcast. And I'm going to be back next week.